0: bricks universe episode 10 david morley R- real one
1: our highly skilled team are focused on bringing you the optimal experience
2: hello david <laughs> hello hello so many answers we may never know too many
0: questions get on with the show no time for the chorus only
1: this bus it's kubrick's it's kubrick's universe the stanley kubrick podcast linden a film by stanley kubrick starring ryan o'neill and marissa berenson has won the best picture and best director award presented by the national board of review richard Schickel, in a time magazine seven page cover story called the film ravishing overwhelming an uncompromised artistic vision and said director stanley kubrick asserts a claim to greatness that time alone can and probably will confirm. CBS TV critic Pat Collins called it a masterpiece, monumental, a perfect film of epic size. Playboy magazine's Bruce Williamson, a film classic. Rex Reed of the New York Daily News wrote, As an 18th century rakes progress, Barry Lyndon catalogs the rise and fall of a likeable scoundrel, liar, cheat, and social climber, transporting the viewer into a world of long ago and creating the kind of magic few movies accomplish and few directors attempt in a lifetime. It is a magnificent entertainment, sumptuous, lush, gorgeous, and haunting, a classic of inestimable value. Liz Smith of Cosmopolitan called it a perfect movie. Beautiful, breathtaking, brilliant. Like a gorgeous, fulfilling dream of life. A dream you never want to end. It is not comparable to any other film I can recall. I ask you to turn yourself over to the experience. Barry Lyndon, a film by Stanley Kubrick based on the novel by William Makepeace Thackeray starring Ryan O'Neill and Marissa Berenson.
2: Well, somebody
0: put the lights on. We got people. Yes, we do. Hey, everyone, guys and gals, boys and girls, children of all ages. Thanks for joining us again at Kubrick's Universe. At the boards is a super fine fellow. I mean, a really splendid lad. And he knows how to make a mean souffle. Our wonderful producer, Mr. Stephen Rigg, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen Rigg, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen Rigg. Let me hear it. Nice. Anywho, your host and humble narrator, Jason Furlong, with you once again. But before we get into today's interview, we have for you a very special mystery guest who will be providing their introduction. So, please, take it away. Thanks, Jason. Uh, David Morley is a highly regarded musician and producer. He began his career playing guitar in various bands as a teenager uh, before he discovered electronic music and the unique creative opportunities of working in recording studios uh, back in the late 1970s. Um, As a producer, David went on to become very involved in a range of recording projects uh, encompassing the wide range of sonic palettes in trance, uh, techno, uh, and ambient. Uh, And his output has consistently been experimental, uh, earning him a reputation as a compositional innovator uh, among producers, DJs, and fans. Uh, he has produced three uh, fantastic uh, electronic albums under his own name, uh, entitled Tilted, Ghosts, and Sanctum. Uh, he has also uh, remixed artists as varied as The Orb, uh, Depeche Mode. Uh, Orbital, uh, Steve Reich, uh, Sakamoto, uh, and uh, Gavin Bryars. But before any of you uh, ever found David's music on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play, uh, and the like, uh, young Master Morley uh, played Ryan O'Neill's son, Brian Patrick Linden, in Kubrick's 1975 masterpiece, Barry Lyndon. I'll turn it back over to you now, Jason, and say thanks. Uh, Welcome, uh, Mr. Morley, to Kubrick's uh, universe. Hey, thanks, Chris. Nice job. I know it was your first time in front of microphone and all. Listen, have your people call my people. Uh, They'll have lunch together. All right. So, hey, everyone, please welcome to the show, David Morley. Great to have you with us, man. Thanks for being here.
3: Hi there. I'm blushing. Uh, that makes two of us.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, it's great to have a nice us.
3: intro. It's a nice intro. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so I want to cut to the quick and ask you, because you were uh, just a lad eight years young when you worked yeah. on Barry Lyndon. Uh, do you recall how you got the part playing Barry's son? Um. Yeah, I kind of do. I mean, as much as I remember anything
3: from <laughs> <laughs> so many years ago. But um, but basically, uh, I grew up in London, and um, uh, when I was very young, probably three or four, uh, I was kind of a, a bit of extroverted, I guess you'd say. There's mm-hmm. probably be a technical term for it these days, but, um, but uh, my parents... Um, thought that uh, I'd be quite good at sort of acting or or whatever, and uh, in the end, I, I went to um, a stage school, and uh, and I did a lot of adverts. So probably from the age of six on, uh, I did quite a lot of adverts on mainly print adverts for clothes or for uh, whatever, uh, but a few TV adverts as well, and um, and then. So I was in in a stage school, and basically, I don't know how the direct link to the audition for for, for Brian Linden came, but um, basically I was in the in that world. And I remember the stage school mm. I went to was the Barbara Speak stage school in Accra, okay. and, and, and in London, uh, that was, um, I mean, I remember quite a lot of the time you would be in classes and someone would come in and say, we need you, 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 and you'd hop in a minibus and you'd go
0: off and do an audition,
3: <laughs> and that sure. was, and that sure. was that, yeah. But uh, so I'm not sure how the how the the Kubrick thing turned up. I don't know whether it was through the stage school or some other link. Um, but yeah, like like everything, I just went for auditions, and um, the initial auditions. We're not with Kubrick, though. Uh, I think that was only for the final one. Um, mm. But uh, but somehow, you know, I won. <laughs>
0: yeah! Wow! Yeah.
3: That was a very uh, a, a very good thing, I think.
0: You know. Yeah. Do you do you recall um, roughly how many uh, stages you'd gone through before uh, your final audition with Kubrick? I really can't remember, to be honest. Yeah,
3: that's cool. I mean, I don't specifically, I remember, uh, not vividly at all, but I remember an audition being in a room and I remember, you know, I can see it, Mm -hmm. but um, I was really probably seven at that time or something. uh, And, um, you know, and obviously at, at that moment, it wasn't anything to remember any more than, any other audition to a certain extent. Sure. So, um, I mean, I do remember my parents telling me that they thought I'd screwed up the audition because <laughs> uh, because uh, I think the final... Was. Kubrick asked what my party trick was, if I had a party trick. Mm. And I said... Um, and I didn't have one. I mean, you know, some kids probably... Sure. draw, You know, whatever. But then... Uh, I, apparently, I started talking to my hand like a sock puppet kind of thing. And I huh. my parents said, i would never done this. It was just a sort of random thing. I just reacted, and, and apparently they thought it was funny. So maybe
0: something there tipped it, you know? But
3: that's, that's all I
0: remember. Well, that's really cool. Um, I'm sure, uh, you know, none of our listeners have ever heard such a, a story about... How you got the gig and uh, yeah, talking to the hand. Yeah, Yeah, the hand. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why.
3: I don't know. You know, I don't remember it. My parents tell me that's
0: what happened. They were sort of head in hands. Oh god, he screwed up. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. the the very thing that got you the gig. They, you know, were rolling their eyes at. Yeah, like uh, please don't, you know. But (laughs) I, I think in the end it was,
3: you know, you know, a lot of it is probably I think Kubrick must have had a fairly clear, well, like everything. It wasn't by chance. He had a clear cut idea of what kind of kid he wanted and how they had to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and much as I'd like to take credit for being <laughs> incredibly talented, I think a lot of it when you're a child boils down to, you know, how you come across, but how you look and whether you fit into the scene and mm. you know, what, what a director's looking for. So, you know, I mean uh I, I think in the end you know everything aligned you know it, it's it, i think it's like that with most child actors you know you can't put your finger on one reason why you get something it's kind of you know on another day you, mm. you wouldn't have got it you know it's just right. i consider myself exceptionally lucky to to have had the chance to do the film so and i mean i was also well, at the same time I, I did a few other auditions i remember I actually had a role in um, Young Frankenstein, but yeah, yeah, but I got measles or something the, the uh, uh, just before the filming took place, so I was replaced.
0: Are um, you kidding me?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I mean I remember I remember something about that as well. It's all kind of vague, but I, I you know again, my parents remind me that you know, yep, I got ill. And these things move on, you know, but yeah, yeah. You know, but there was a moment. That's a classic film that, you know, would have been a different kind of classic film, you know? So,
0: yeah. But I mean, it's remarkable. There was a moment in time when you were actually cast uh, for a part in young Frankenstein. Apparently so. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, incredible.
3: Yeah.
0: That's too cool. Yeah,
3: Yeah. But that's the way it is. I'm, I'm, ultimately if I had to choose between the two I'd stick you know I mean no disrespect but I'm exceptionally no no of course pleased to have been in you know no matter how small or big a role it was to be in a Kubrick film and all the experiences that came with it I wouldn't change it for anything
0: you know? yeah well that's 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 wonderful of you to say obviously uh, no one, Listening, nor myself would ever disagree with that. I mean, yeah, just yeah. the opportunity. Um, and it's 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 amazing to see the way that Barry Lyndon has only grown in in stature, uh, yeah. not not just critically, but among even you know diehard Kubrick fans who you know were either unaware of its uh, unique charm or um, you know had tended to overlook it in favor of other films in his oeuvre, like The Shining, of course, Full Metal Jacket, much more commercially successful pictures. But Barry Lyndon, if I may say so, is just an impossibly, as I say, an almost impossibly beautiful film. Yeah, I'd agree.
3: And I I think also, you know, the one insight I may have had, having been on set for quite a while, I mean, it was a long shoot, Mm. um, was just how... I mean, these days, if if someone's making a film these days, you know, the planning that would go in would be all based around how to get it all done in the shortest amount of time mm-hmm. possible. You know, we, if we get him in on the fifth week, he can be done by the seventh week and we don't have to mm-hmm. book a hotel for him or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And uh, with Kubrick, I, I get the sense there was none of that. I know he was he was ultimately careful with money, but not at the expense of anything that would affect his uh creative decisions so he filmed you know I mean there was a lot of waiting around and you were basically you know you were on site waiting but you might wait two weeks or because he needed you but you know he wasn't going to say have two weeks off or something like like that when he thought he might need you so yeah um, you know it's a very extreme way of filming I'd say and um and that's why, it, for me, it, it's it's really, you know, genius uh, how t- that film came out. I mean, you know, the fact that someone funded someone who was prepared to just go to the nth degree oh, no. for everything, you know, that's that just wouldn't happen anymore. They, you know, there's no way a film like that would get made. And I think, you know, it's it's not just stood the, you know, the last forty years. It hasn't just sort of kept its value it's it's certainly gone up I mean may you know
0: partly because you won't see a, a film like that made anymore I absolutely agree on all on all counts I mean yeah it it's gone beyond merely standing the test of time into territory of yeah you know oh my gosh you know how many people weren't paying attention then uh who who are now and who have children and grandchildren even uh these days uh with the age of social media and are capable and, and willing to you know share the love of, of this film because yeah. uh it it has grown immeasurably in stature um yeah of course you know uh back in april uh in conjunction with Warner Brothers uh mm. there was a, a live orchestral uh performance uh put up at king's theater in brooklyn and i was lucky enough to be there and i didn't know this yeah david i gotta tell you i mean it was an incredible night to say the least but here's the thing the event planners had not anticipated uh, a blowout sale at the box office for a 42-year-old uh obscure, relatively obscure film, which yeah. you know was not uh Kubrick's most successful in its no. initial release. And 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 the performance had to be delayed by almost one hour because of the buzz. And what ended up happening was over three thousand two hundred fans of the picture, whether you know yeah. old fans or first-time fans. Standing ovation at the end, my man, and it was breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think
3: I mean, it, you know, ultimately, if you, if you if you get part, I mean, you know, the, the the criticisms of the film over, you know, been various, but in general, fairly, you know, uh, down to the length of the film and the slow pace of the film, and but I mean, if that's your criteria for what makes a good film, is
0: yeah, right. Is,
3: it, it's a bit long, you know.
0: Well, they can always go see based. an Avengers movie. No, exactly.
3: I mean, it's just, <laughs> kind of, you know, the whole, you know, once you're in that world. I mean, perhaps part of it is, though, you know, it's in the cinema, you know, in a good cinema, you can appreciate the, even more, the quality of the filming and the, you know, and and, uh, and and the look of the film, which perhaps mm-hmm. lost a bit, or was lo- certainly lost a bit on television. And, you know, I mean, I remember whenever it was on TV, you'd turn it on and you'd watch it. But until recently, people didn't have 50-inch TVs. With Right. You, know, you had a small, curved, you know, mm-hmm. TV. And it, it, it was kind of it still looked great, but it was just a film then. It wasn't as much of an experience. So, you know... I guess it's a a cinema film or something to watch in high quality, which I don't think of as a, you know, it's not high quality at the expense of a story. It's just everything. It's right. Right. It's high quality. And if you, if you watch it and that, the whole thing people say about it, or you can almost freeze any frame and it's like a painting. Right. So true. I mean, you, you can really watch that and think, man, you know, every second you're thinking this is just beautiful, you know? But lots of his films. I mean, to, to be honest, you know, I, th- I think it's not by chance. You know, he it's probably his high point as far as that went of of filming and and lighting and well, not high point, but you know what I mean. It kind of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of technical achievement, uh, yeah. You know, the, the the Zeiss camera lenses that uh, he used to uh, be able to shoot by candlelight. Yeah. Um, I read an article that there there were only ten of those made. Um, and, uh, the inventor kept one, um, six were purchased by NASA and Mm. Stanley Kubrick bought the other three. Yeah. Um, I saw, (laughs) I saw that on a photography website, so I have every reason to believe it's the truth. Yeah. Um, well, I can believe it. I mean, why wouldn't he, you know, he, he knew what he wanted and, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he, he did achieve a certain pinnacle, uh, to paraphrase you, with uh, his his technical prowess and what he was able to pull off because, like you said, I mean, you can pause any frame and as so many people have pointed out, every, every frame could be like an oil painting. Yeah. And, and I, I just mean, I think yeah. it's
3: uh, crazy because uh, he he also, you know, the composition of certain frames is is like based on, real painting you know mm-hmm. pain. i mean he it's not by chance nothing was left to chance and
4: mm.
3: everything was you know i mean and i remember at the time uh, being a, on set a lot and seeing for example i remember the i don't know what scene it was but the i think it was the gambling scene or uh, which was candle lit and everything mm-hmm. and, and and i just remember you know this wasn't normal this was it was pitch black in there you know what i mean you see it on yeah the screen, and it's not like i mean if you go into a room and there's six candles on a table yeah, it's not, yeah. not very light yeah that's huh. a miracle you can see anything and then when you see it and you, then you understand I, I think people also don't appreciate that that you know i mean i was fortunate to be there and i remember it being pitch black you know there was candles wow. in people's faces and you know but
0: but that was lens, it
3: those lenses were critical to the film i mean you know uh, he, you know he he knew he could make the film because he had the lenses i think yeah. it wasn't you know, i'm going to make this film now i need some lenses it, it, or cameras it was you know he could only achieve it through that technology and you know and that's what's incredible to me that he's like he, he you know he's not romantic or he wasn't romantic in a like uh, i only do things the old way like i'm in when I make music, and probably you do in the the studio as well, we Mm -hmm. love old gear, you know, Mm -hmm. old synths, and I love... But actually, that's sometimes at the expense of using the best thing possible, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think Kubrick never had that question in his mind. It was always about the best thing possible, whether it's old or new. Precisely. And I think, you know, that's... Barry Lyndon shows that in a certain way. It was you know, modern technology on an old, well, you know, or high-end technology on a film that is romantic and and old. You know. I, I know,
0: it's 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 incredible in the, the sense that there's a real juxtaposition, I, I think, uh, with regards to what you're saying, that, you know, he used the state-of-the-art lens, uh, lenses available on the planet Earth at that time, yeah. basically to transport the viewer to a period in human history long before cameras were ever invented. Yeah, exactly. And really it's put you true. there. That's
3: a that's a very good point. I mean, it, it really you know if you want to watch a film that you know that makes you feel like you could have been there, then that's it. You know. Oh no question. There's no romantic sort of uh, soft focus or mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the in the same sense as other directors would use it. it. It's just you know it's you're there and and you know
0: that's pretty incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, now, since you, uh, brought it up, I just wanted to ask if you remember like roughly how long you were on the shoot, David? Well, I, I,
3: I can't remember exactly. I almost felt like calling my parents to check this cause I, knew. <laughs> hmm. but I mean, I, I was off school for a year. Um, and I think it was, Wow. Probably nine months or something, uh, but I mean I I don't want to be held to this. I have to you know, like I said. No, it's okay. At eight, at eight time is very you know everything lasts forever. Right. Um, so, uh, but um, it was a long time. I wasn't you know, and like I said, I'm or well, uh, I should check that maybe, maybe it was no, six months. It could have been nine months. It could have been, but it was a long time. And, but of course the. the the thing is uh you know I was not in the film for an extensive amount of minutes you know ultimately if you look at the length of the film but he was shooting relatively you know um like I said he he would keep you because he was doing that bit and you'd be needed in 3 weeks and and sure you, know, you you'd be learning lines and there'd be lots of costume fittings and lots of stuff like that so that the the shooting was you know part of it but wasn't the main part i mean the things i remember more was i was having to be i had to learn to ride a horse so i went i went you know with my mum to these stables in a lovely i can't remember exactly where in, in mm. England but you know I, I was taught to ride a horse and I'd properly by proper you know not not kind of like can someone show this kid how to ride a horse it was like you know yeah, yeah. Put you stables, they'll put you on a horse they'll you've got the right gear you know you and only so that i could sit on a horse and look comfortable not because i had to ride you know it, everything was you know and then costumes were in london so you'd have to go to london and sure you know learning lines was a big thing as well and um then i had to do school as well i had a tutor
0: right um, so uh, but mm-hmm. not having to go to school uh, proper for uh, almost a year as you uh, yeah as you say <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that
3: no no what a hardship no no i yeah I, I, <laughs> oddly enough i don't remember it at the time as a sort of uh, i was because we left england to go to belgium mm-hmm. uh, and uh so i left school in england which would have been my uh the the barbara Speak school in in london and um mm-hmm. and then after the film i started uh, a school in brussels so it's almost as, as if it wasn't like I, I missed school, if you know what I mean. It was kind of between yeah. schools kind of thing, you know. And uh, so I started, uh, this you know, at a normal time in my new school. And uh, I can't remember when I left the school in England. But uh, it, it was fairly, you know, I don't recall it as being, like, missing a year.
0: When you're a kid, I imagine, and you're acting, you know, and you're, you're learning your lines, you're being trained to ride a horse, uh, you're not thinking of, of course about, you know, what's not going on in, uh, your life. You're just there in the moment. Like children are the most you yeah, know, exactly. present people there are. Yeah, totally. Um, and,
3: you know, and, and, and every day was different and exciting and mm-hmm. boring and whatever, but it was, yeah. it was just what it was. You weren't thinking how long, you know, i you know, I was just, I mean, I remember it as being very sort of abnormal but normal, if you know mm. what I mean. It, yeah, it has that weird thing of you—you you know, you're doing something out of the yeah. ordinary, but but you're just a kid and you're, you're right. just playing. And you know, my—you know—I uh, was mainly with my mum, uh, and occasionally my brother would be there. He even appears in a couple of in a, in the the birthday party scene somewhere. Oh no, uh, kidding! Yeah, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's a kind of, I don't know, it's, if you're eight, it's all, you know, whether it's school or holidays or whatever, it's just kind of fun, as long as it is, you know. I mean, you know, plenty of kids don't have fun, but, you know, if you come from a, you know, I was lucky to have a great family and a nice background, and it was just a continuation of that. It was more fun. It was fun, you
0: know. Yeah. No, well, I want to... Come to the uh, the birthday party scene um, before I do, though. Since you brought up since you brought up uh, uh, the stables, I just yeah. wonder if you have any uh, recollections of uh, uh, when you were trained to ride a horse. I mean, was it arduous or was it fun or a bit of both? I can't remember. Again, I have
3: kind of memories in my head of of I remember the the stables and I remember riding my horse and I remember. Mm that kind of things. But I don't remember anything further. I mean, I remember it being certainly not a hardship, you know, Mm. it it was just all fun and all kind of exciting. I do remember that. I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you're not told tomorrow, you have to do this or have to, it, it, you're told, you know, well, you are told you have to do this, but you, you're going, to learn how to ride horses and they'll be picking you up and driving you there mm. you know and the people who picked you up and drove you there were were nice and everything was organized for you and even as a kid you know just being in hotels was sure good. you know yeah I, I yeah hotels i was running around corridors right, I, was, right. You know, I remember a corridor um a hotel in um, i think it was possibly in bath in in, in england but i'm not mm-hmm. sure maybe not or Salisbury or somewhere, but, um, and I just remember it was like, well, this was the seventies, but it was like plush red velvet seats and carpets and dark dark wood. Yes. I found it fantastic. I just remember running around and having fun, you know, so, you know, the the horse riding would have been the same. It would have just been a continuation of, you know, learning, you know, and having to do stuff, but,
0: you know, it was all fun. I, yeah, I, I mean, Looking I can imagine facts.
3: possibly there were moments, but I, I don't remember them. So, you know,
0: well, the, as as uh, as they say, you know, the mind moves the furniture around. Exactly. We need to make space for the here and now. And that can affect our, our long term memories. But as long as you have great memories and it sounds clearly like oh, yeah. you do,
3: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. um, you know, you, on the other hand, you know, got to participate and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, be involved Working in a Stanley Kubrick production.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was a, a big bonus. I mean, of course, again, you know, I wouldn't have heard of Stanley Kubrick at the time. And I, I you know, it, it, I guess that's the weird thing. In the end, you're just working with these people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the other actors as well. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, 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 I um, spent a, a lot of the time was. Mu- I mean, shall I just ramble on about my experiences of you know uh, of living on set because you know it's just come to me now is the the memories of uh, being in my trailer, which was well a caravan and mm-hmm. uh, but um, mine was was next to Ryan O'Neill's, who was basically like uh, 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 kind of like my dad on set. Uh, you know, in in I mean, <clears throat> my father was working and I was with my mum, but I think, you know, Kubrick, again, I don't want to maybe overstate how, how much he thought of things, but mm. uh, I was right on next to to Ryan O'Neill all the time. And I used to play with him all the time. I mean, he was like, you know, a father figure. Yeah, And oh, wow. I never saw Marisa Berenson who was like a distant mother figure, you know, and I, I, mm-hmm. I became, so this bond with, ryan o'neill i think shows and it wasn't random you know he, i you know i spent a lot of time with ryan o'neill and he he taught me frisbee we used to play frisbee all the time <laughs> stuff like that you know because uh, you know so uh, wow you know, th- those are the things which you know as an eight-year-old ryan o'neill was just uh, you know this guy you know i mean i i had no clue who he was or what he'd done or yeah or right You did, yeah he was just it, a great guy and fun to be around and he was really like that he he was exceptionally nice so you know i don't think that's by chance though looking back i think that's kind of you know uh, a good director knows how to make people interact and uh, i felt comfortable around ryan o'neill and i felt less comfortable around marisa berenson and you know little things like that which um Add up to uh, perhaps making the film, you know, better.
0: Well, unquestionably, I would say. I mean, uh, because it shows, as you said, it really uh, comes across as, in the film as one of the most uh, poignant character connections that any two have in the story. Yeah. It's, if not the uh, most powerful, is, is really is the one between you and Ryan. What's yeah. portrayed between Brian and Barry is just. Remarkable, And uh, the scene where uh, you are introduced to the world, uh, you know, if you will, your first appearance as uh, Brian um, was the famous birthday party scene. Um, yeah. You appear on stage as a, a, an assistant
1: to The Conjurer. For Brian's eighth birthday, my magic the local nobility and gentry and their children came to pay their respects. The inside is quite empty. The outside is quite empty. Wave your hand over the top, Brian. Is there anything there? Yes?
3: Oh, wonderful, wonderful, colorful silk handkerchief.
2: Take a bow, Brian. You did that beautifully. Very good indeed. Let's see if you have something behind your
1: ear. Yes, you have.
2: <laughs> a little ball, let's
3: make it back. It's gone, Brian. Here it is. Here it is, behind my elbow. I want you to wave your hand over my green silk handkerchief and see whether
1: we can produce a magic flower. I wonder if we can. There it comes. Look at that. We have the colours of the rainbow. There they are.
3: You know all the colours of the rainbow produce but one colour, Brian. Nothing in my magic cabinet. They produce the colour white. And there is my own beautiful white rabbit. Brian, you did that
0: very well. Now, as yeah. I understand it, that scene was originally shot some months prior uh, as an indoor and again, candlelit scene, but that Kubrick wasn't happy with it, and then he later reshot that entire scene. Um, and that, of course, became the incredibly choreographed yeah uh, outdoor sequence that we see in the film today. What do you remember about that, man? Well, I can't remember the the,
3: the earlier scene, to be honest, whether. I mean, uh, mm. my it's it's very possible because I don't remember a zillion things that happened. But um, uh, I have the feeling though that the party uh, was out of sync with other
2: uh. Uh,
3: filming, so that could perhaps make sense in in the sense that you know it wasn't filmed in the beginning when I first arrive on, on the scene kind of thing, mm-hmm. it, it arrived. It, I, I seem to recall filming that later, but that could, I'm not sure to be honest. So I can't say yes or no on that. I really don't remember uh, a, a, a birthday party somewhere else, if you mm-hmm. know, um, but it is possible. I mean, again, I, I, I will ask my mother. <laughs> she <laughs> is, tell me tell me all sorts of uh I mean she remembers much more than me to be honest. Uh, uh things like uh the, the the sorry my I've forgotten the names. The guy who the the what was it called the slit scan or the for for 2001 the Oh D- Douglas Trumbull? Yeah. I said th- but the cameraman who did the um who who filmed that? Or, uh, the, or, or no, not the uh, the guy who built the box that was the slip or something. I don't know. Is it Jonathan or uh, anyway? But she said, you know, uh, he was there a lot and they were talking and they, they, you know, I mean, she she got to know him very well and all those kind of people who were important in, you know, in 2001 and stuff. They were still, you know, involved with Kubrick and stuff. Sure. So he has a lot more. You know, obviously, grown-up memories and she, you know, meeting people and yeah, you know, yeah, presumably met all the, you know, the, uh, the the other sort of more technical people that were, you know, she would have recalled all of that more than me. So there's and the scenes which would have been filmed and not appeared in the film, she will remember more than me because I remember them from seeing the film, but I don't remember being eight. You know, right right everything we shot but my mum would remember uh that's the day we went to that castle and they filmed there and you know and it started raining so they cancelled or whatever you know she'll remember yeah stuff. yeah so well, I, what... I, in that case i can't recall you know exactly whether that scene was a replacement scene but uh, highly possible i mean you know uh, i can't see why not i i mm. you know it you know, it, it was a big a lot a lot of people crowd outside. It, it wasn't like other things in the film to a certain extent, well, apart from the war scenes and mm-hmm. that. But uh, that was, you know,
0: the busiest scene I remember. You know, yeah. Now, I mean, Stanley, of course, loved to, in, in you know, include his his family and all manner of uh, employ and yeah. uh his his youngest daughter Vivian is in uh, the audience in that birthday scene yeah. and uh, she's probably only uh, a, a few years older than you did you guys happen to to get to know one another or become friends?
3: yeah we I mean uh, there was a um, Tatum O'Neill was also around quite a bit and and it would be Vivian and we all played together i and uh, I i I mean, Friends is uh, Vivian, less. Uh, you know, I didn't see her so much, but I, certainly when she was around, she used to come and, and see him. We used to, you know, all play together. And uh, Tatum would have been maybe one year older or... And, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I remember kind of hanging out with Tatum O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You do when you're eight, you know, but no, I, I mean, certainly they were around... Uh, and Tatum was there for, you know, I saw her quite a few times and, and you know, I guess she was visiting dad or whatever. And, uh, yeah,
0: so. Well, he was on the set, of course, for, you know, probably the entire production. And yeah. so, you know, his his daughter would have spent a lot of time there. And yeah, based on a, a lot of what I've read, it seems, you know, uh, Kubrick always uh, encouraged a very familial environment and wanted uh, people who worked, oh, totally. worked with him to, yeah, to have their families come along. Um, yeah. I just think it's really cool. You got to, you know, uh, just pal around with uh, Vivian and uh, Tatum O'Neill like, at a time yeah. when, you know, you're just kids. You're just yeah. running around and laughing and, you know. Oh, exactly. oh and there's these there's these grown-ups over there with their cameras and you know like oh they'll 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 drag us over when they need us but let's yeah. make up a new game
3: yeah, let's yeah, invent exactly. a new game
0: you know that kind of thing is just Yeah I
3: yeah, know you're just you know and and it was also of course usually you were in lovely places as well so you mm. know you were always outside uh you know if it was if the weather was was okay you were basically usually in a stately home somewhere on a garden, just watching them from a distance or, you know, I mean, I I do remember the boring bits were I had to do studies, you know, I had a tutor, the the tutor would teach me, but it wasn't a hell of a lot. And, um, but also learning lines, that was really kind of, you know, a lot of repetition and just, you know, sitting in a hotel or a caravan, just, going over your lines again and again and again. And, yeah. um, and you know, and I, I, I don't recall uh, mucking them up too much, so I guess it worked. You know, uh, <laughs> I can't remember having any issues with that, although. You
0: know. So you, yeah, you, you, you were never responsible for uh, Kubrick uh, doing 120 takes of a scene. It was never your fault, in other words. I don't think so, no. I mean, you're, go- I- you're going on record.
3: Yeah, I never made a mistake. No, no, ever, I, ever. I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I can recall long filming. You know, lots of scenes mm. were filmed a lot, um, but I do get the feeling it was kind of, you know, just down to small, smaller things. I, I right. Don't recall, you know, he certainly never, never once lost it in front of me or had any kind of issues with anyone in front of me, and. I I mean, that's one thing I, I certainly remember of him always being calm and mm-hmm. very, I mean, I didn't really have a, you know, it's not like you would have a close relationship with him. He was very much there when the filming was happening and they mm-hmm. were gone, you know, I mean, I,
4: mm-hmm.
3: not like I, uh, you know, I saw him when we were filming, basically. Right. Uh, and, um, but he was very calm and, and everything was, you know, it just seemed straightforward and and easy and i think you know it was possibly harder for the adults i mean i'm sure he was tougher on them but um you know i certainly there was no crazy scenes or any you know you know screw this let's do it again tomorrow kind of thing that that right right it was all very civilized and uh, you know and you well, can take your time if you, you know. I, I remember that. It wasn't like, come on, come on, come on. You know, it was just, you know, okay, sure. if you're ready, let's do it, you know. So, you know, a very pleasant experience from that side.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of those things I love to read about is, you know, not to say his methodology, but, you know, the other aspects. Uh, After so many years of reading books about how his films were made, uh, I, you know, sort of graduated, if you will, into uh, wanting to know about how his mind works, how he interacted with other people. And, you know, it's a delight to say that you're another person who got to uh, work with Stanley who says the same thing, that he was just the embodiment of grace under pressure, dignified. Real-class act, and as a guy myself who, you know, grew up in the New York City area, yeah, we're really proud of this idea that, you know, he comes from, you know, one of the toughest places in the world to make a living, yeah. figured out always how to get things done and do it yeah. with a gentleman's way, which is, you know, what brought him to uh, a rather U.K. sensibility, uh, yeah. if that makes any sense. He was like no, a no, perfect, totally. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah hybrid
3: um, yeah, I think so. He, you know, a British director wouldn't have that edge and that drive, perhaps. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I can't generalise, but you know, he he had the best of both worlds, I think, uh, mm. which is why you know he achieved what he achieved. I mean, you need it. You need to be tough, I guess, and you need to be you need to be able to put your foot down everything, but you have to do it in a way which doesn't alienate people. And and you know, there's the the Shelley Duval, you know, stuff, but that's, I mean, that must be horrible for her at the time, but I think she probably got it as well. She understood. It was part of the game. You know, it's, it's, it's the only way <laughs> I'm going to get it to be like this. I'm sorry, you know, and, but we're doing something. Absolutely. Like, this isn't a game. And, and, and some people would have suffered for it, but at the same time, he, the, you know, that how you can't just accept you know, try and look a bit upset here, you know, and boo hoo. It doesn't doesn't work in in the shining, you know, it needed that. And that makes scenes that stick in people's minds for forever. Not just, Mm -hmm. not just neat scenes. And so I think he could be provocative and he could use his, you know, his genius to twist, Mm -hmm. you know, situations and make it work for him. And it could be painful perhaps for, for certain people, but, and like I said earlier, in a much gentler approach, just, you know, in a way, me not really having a relationship with my mother or Marisa Berenson mm-hmm. but being very close to Ryan O'Neill. You know, it seems like a simple thing, but, you know, I don't think it is really because, you know, lots of directors just say, OK, it's your scene now. You're, this is your dad. Yeah, you mm-hmm. love him very much, you know, but actually he, he never had to say that, you know he was like my dad on, on, on set and, and, Mm. and, you know, and that, so, you know, the only things I have are positive. I mean, I do remember little things like, um, there's a scene in a boat, uh, under the bridge. um, Mm -hmm. And of course that really pissed off the, the guy who was holding the boat still under the water. (laughs) There's things like that. It wasn't, yeah, but he got that. Yeah, he got that shot. Done quick, you know. Let's let's get this as quick as we can because the guy's probably freezing. He's like, "Let's do it again." Okay, hold it still. You're moving, you know that kind of. But you know that guy was probably at the end of the day thinking, "Man, that was a shitty day." But you know, that's the way it it was, and it was you know, and and no screaming, no shouting, or whatever. It's just right if you want to, you know, how you do things. And that, that I think is. You know, that's the impressive thing in my recollection is just how un it wasn't stressful. People didn't seem angry, you know, people didn't seem worked to the bone, even though they probably were, because I guess they appreciated it and, and ultimately he would probably turn around to most people at the end of the day and say thanks, you know, occasionally and that would be enough. People would understand it, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I um, mean, and at the end of the day, I mean, the guy who had to hold the boat still under the water must have seen the result of that shot because there's no denying it. It's just absolutely yeah. gorgeous beyond yeah. the description. Again, like impossibly beautiful.
3: Yeah. Um, he, pro- he probably and when- has to tell everyone, you know, I'm in that shot. You know, yeah. <laughs> no one knows, but, you know, I'm, you know,
0: I'm the idiot. He's trying to take take a, take what little credit the dog, you know, in the boat yeah. got, you know, he's trying to take it away from the dog. Do you remember exactly. a, anything about the the pup in that boat? You know, did he no, no. rock it or cause any, any, any no. problems? That, no, just a sweet really little can't. pup and that was it?
3: Yeah, I can't remember too many details. I'm trying to think of any, you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where, you know, it's, a lot of things happened and, uh, but it's all one big Memory for me, it's that whole period. I mean, you know, I can step back right. and 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 relive specific moments. But right. uh, I was eight, you know. Yeah, 20.
0: I get it. I get it. Right. So, so you 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 don't recall Stanley telling the dog, "Okay, we have to do this again. Take eighty-four. <laughs> Everyone line up." The dog. I'm sure he would going. have been
3: exceptionally. Care- <laughs> you know, with the dog, it would have been his major priority was make sure the dog is okay because. Yeah, him and animals, you know, he, uh, he put them in oh, yes. equal no. setting, if not higher setting to most humans.
0: Well, I, I love that uh, Kubrick was an animal person. I am as well, and I think a lot of uh, Kubrick fans uh, find that to be very endearing, another little link we yeah. seem to feel we have with him as a person, because all the pictures you can find online of him with their dogs and cats – I mean, there's just no denying this is a, an incredibly gracious, you know, human yeah. being, who yeah. saw the val- who saw the value in in a soul. You know, he understood that. You know, animals, uh, and and humans have a, a connection that's time. Ty- you know, goes back time in memoriam at this point. Oh,
2: sure. And I
0: just I so yeah. Another thing I love to, stumble upon, when I learn about uh, him as a person is just all those shots of him with the the cats and the dogs and his family and, uh, you know, in the kitchen or what whatever. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I imagine that he would have been very, uh, uh, considerate and, and, uh, towards the dog in the boat and brought, you know, concerns. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For the dog's safety, etc. Not that it wouldn't dog paddle to shore. Had you guys capsized, but, no, yeah. um, uh, because we're talking about animals and, uh, in that scene, Uh, You're seen riding a miniature sheep-drawn carriage. That that scene is a a bit of a fan favorite. Uh, Okay. Do you recall, have any recollection what that was like? Well, I remember making it, uh, you know, but I don't (laughs)
3: don't remember more than that. I'm basically, because, okay, there were no lines or anything, so go off and look happy, you know, and uh, drag drag you around. And, uh, no, I mean... Uh, I have a in in my recollection it being but again you know it being filmed in the same place as my funeral oh yeah wow uh, goodness yeah and I remember watching that which is a kind of interesting uh, watching your funeral but I, mm. I presume that may have actually taken place around the same time uh, I'm not entirely sure but it would make sense he
2: that believeth in me though he
1: was dead. whosoever liveth and believeth in me
2: shall never die. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall be home and not another. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The Lord gave, and the
3: Lord
1: has taken away.
3: I remember standing on a
0: on a wall watching my funeral procession go by.
3: So.
2: Wow.
0: But that's 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 crazy cool, insightful. I mean, Talk about surreal. Yeah. You're a child of eight and you watch a scene of your own funeral. Yeah. Now, you know, one of your more involved scenes uh, is in the library with Lord Bullingdon, who was, of course, played by Leon Vitale. Yeah. Do you remember how well you got on with Leon? I got on really well with Leon. Uh, He, One thing I remember
3: of him is going to London in his... I think he had a triumph spitfire at the time uh, sports car so I, uh-huh. I, you know, I i think it was london or somewhere but i remember basically being whisked off by leon in his car and going to i think it must have been his flat uh, or something and uh, i said you know these memories they're really vague but uh, again i remember those specific moments of sitting in his car with leon driving and he was a wow.
0: super,
3: super nice guy and um uh, and I think also in the film it shows a bit that you know he kind of I mean I don't really go back to the film much I don't watch the film or anything so I but mm. I, as I get the feeling in the film he you know again he he loved me but what yeah. I stood for what I stood for was wrong you know so it was this kind of thing where there was a certain bond, you know? Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I remember him a lot because, uh, he was always there. I mean, he was very proactive on set. I remember that him being around and helping with lines and, and, you know, just being not just an actor, but he was around all the time. So
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, at the time he would be, you know, Although there was a big age difference, he would be a friend of mine, you know. At the time, yeah, you know. And
0: well, we at, kids, right. we kids of the seventies were fortunate to have, uh, you know, those 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 big kids who were, you know, yeah. veering into adulthood, but they introduced you to, uh, you know, their record yeah. collection and. no exactly. Well, he was took a bit, you for a I ride in the car.
3: I mean, I don't. Maybe you can help. I, I don't know how old he would have been when he made. Barry
2: Lyndon. I believe he was in his 20s although yeah, yeah. although playing a teen certainly a teenager
3: yeah but he was a bit yeah he was a, you know he was certainly a grown up to me um thank god as we drove in his car you know, <laughs> <was> pretty absurd <laughs> if it wasn't but.
2: and and it's, in, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that he was very kind of proactive around the set you know beyond just being an actor and walking on and, and doing his lines because that seems to be the the changing point in his career where, you know, he'd done quite a lot of TV work and he was an up-and-coming actor in the UK.
3: Yeah. Oh, he, could have, he, he could have established himself mm-hmm. more as an actor, but, uh, but, you know, I get the feeling he, he you know, he probably really enjoyed being on set in, in a variety of ways. And, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and ultimately, you know, I, I mean... What a great life he had in, in relation to, you know, working with Kubrick for all those years and being part of that must have been, you know, fascinating
0: and interesting. And I mean, I, I
3: keep saying he released there's a documentary coming out about him or it is out. I don't know.
0: It's out. Yeah. Out, it's I called Film Worker. OK,
3: because he's someone, I you know, I'd love to say hi to, if you know what I mean. Uh, because, oh, yeah.
2: But, you know, that's well, we have to try and help.
0: Stephen, we should try and help uh, arrange that if at all possible.
2: Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Well, yeah. just
3: a, even just a hello, you know. Yeah, no, no. Because I remember him. You know, there there are certain things you remember that were that were. Uh, I mean, it sounds like there's a positives and negatives, but they're just highlights or or, or things that stick in, in 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 my memory, and and you know, he he was part
0: of that. So, anything yeah. we can do to help. Well, we're just, yeah, we're just all about like trying to do justice and carry on his legacy and not just yeah, yeah. as, you know, who we consider the greatest filmmaker of all time, but, you know, all the connections that he made, uh, not just between himself and other people, but between other people and other people. Um, I just wanted to, uh, ask you about, uh, the dynamic with, uh, Brian and Leon's character, Lord Bullington, because earlier you brought up uh, the real closeness that you and Ryan had on the set and the relative uh, distance you kept with Marisa Berenson um, yes. and all for the right you know, reasons. Uh, it, but yet in the library scene, for instance, uh, you know the two characters clearly need to be antagonistic with each other I find it yeah. fascinating that you uh, yet had a great uh, affection for one another as people Yeah. while you're filming that. It's kind of a, a, a counterpoint to uh, those other experiences you described.
3: Really.
5: Hmm? What does st- strenuous mean?
1: Ryan, I'm trying to work.
5: What
1: does it mean? It means an effort requiring strength. What does quadrangle
5: mean?
1: A quadrangle is a four-sided figure like a square or a rectangle. Please be quiet, Brian, and let me get on with my own work. Brian, please be quiet.
5: Have you seen my pencil?
1: No, Brian, I haven't. Brian, please stop making so much noise.
5: That's my pencil. Give it to me. No, it isn't!
1: Your it's pencil? This I've had this almost girl, don't sit down. Listen, pencil. will you be quiet? My pencil. Lesson.
0: <laughs> what the devil is going on in here?
1: I told you never to lay a hand on this child.
3: Again, I remember shooting that scene.
1: Um
3: But it but again, it's really hard to go back to how you felt, you know. I mean, that's that's the thing. I, 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 again, that is one moment I can go back to. And I remember being in that room and I remember it. And I mean, it was, you know, an intense, uh, scene, uh, and, you know, it wasn't play acting if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's certainly, I don't have any recollection of it being heavy or <laughs> traumatic or anything and but at the same time, you know, I remember you know Lord Bullingdon being quite scary uh, in, in those you know at that time and mm.
4: uh,
3: and also almost feeling like being in between a real fight if you you know uh, uh, much like the other scene with the shoes, you know uh, oh yes, you know these well, these were intense moments, but I guess I probably knew it was, you know, that it wasn't real. If you know what I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, uh, you, you. I don't think you look at it in a different way because you're fully aware you're acting, and you, and everyone's been told what's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. um, so, um, so you are acting. I mean, there is a certain. I, I mean, I've spoken about it as being a lot of fun and me just being eight and everything, but you are acting and you are told what to do and you, you have to do it. And ultimately afterwards you, you jump back into the real world where oh, Leon, well, you know, n- n- do you want to play yeah. rugby or whatever, you know?
0: So yeah. Yeah. Can uh, you know, we hop in the triumph?
3: No, exactly. So I think, in- you know, I, I, uh, I mean, it was more important, I think with Ryan O'Neill that I had this, fatherly bond kind of thing mm. uh, and lots of the other stuff is basically acting it's what you do as an actor i guess is uh yeah uh, uh, deal with situations and react and uh you know uh i mean like well, with, with the shoes where i have to be where i'm pulled out and i have to kind of look on you know in oh, a bit of oh yes having a fight well that's pure direction i'm just ha- i'm doing what i'm told you know and uh uh, I'm not thinking, shit. They're going for it, <laughs> right? Right? Right. Then, like at a certain no, point, I... you know, the camera's on you, and then you have to
0: do what you do, and uh, mm-hmm. that's all, really. You know. Awesome. I, I mean, since we're talking about the library scene, I mean, yeah. that, and as you say, I mean, you're you're acting, and you're just in the moment, and uh, yet that that is a very realistic looking fight scene between you and Leon, and one of the aspects of uh, uh, Kubrick's inimitable uh, dry humor is that, you know, that in, that incredible scene is is a fight over a pencil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I love that, and then and it moves into a very convincing piece of action. I, I mean, the fight that fight scene is pretty much in one long shot without cuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest
3: as well, because I get you know shaken about a bit and. Uh manhandled to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and uh i i i think it would have been one take uh to be honest because i don't recall um i recall doing it but i don't recall doing it more than once if you know,
0: redoing it yeah Yeah. wow wow
3: lit up or uh, different sections or whatever i mean you know, the the actual intense moments, again, uh, you know, I can't be sure of all of this, but uh, I think you rehearse the scenes without, you know, the intensity. The, the physicality, sense. yeah. Yeah, you go through yeah. the, the movements and where you're going to be and how you, you know, and then you would say, and at this point he grabs you or whatever. Uh, right. happen in the rehearsals. So it, it is kind of, you know, I think that would be, one element of capturing something is if, if actors are doing it the seventh time and you're having your hair pulled for the seventh time, you're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. So, so there was, there was preparation. It would have been, uh, you know, a lot of preparation, knowing what's going to happen and then, okay, you know, let's, let's do it. And, and also I think, you know, Kubrick was more, you know, it wasn't, Totally analytical how he did things. You know, mm. things didn't have to be. It wasn't like some great dictator where things had to be exactly how he right,
0: perceived. right he was
3: capturing moments. And if he thought that moment was captured and the moment was cool, that was it. Done. You know, I think yeah. So you know, a lot of preparation and then let's go for it. And hopefully, no one you know steps out of frame or does something that they're not meant to or whatever. But ultimately. Mm-hmm. I think he was very prepared to capture the things, how they took place and accept that maybe, you know, in an ideal world, things would have been done slightly differently, but, or reactions would have been different or whatever. But ultimately, you know, I guess if you're dealing with an eight-year-old kid, you can't go through a fight scene 28 times, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I can't recall that specifically, but I remember making it and I don't remember it being, I remember it being intense and I remember it being, an important scene, actually, because you know, this was certainly not like you know, shaking some things in a sheep pulled carriage.
4: Yeah it's, yeah, it's
3: different to seeing your dad and your stepbrother and you having you know a massive issue and scene. But uh, I don't recall it being uh, a long
0: you know day or something like that, but right. It could have been. It was. Yeah, it was rehearsed. Know. It was choreographed, and then it was shot. I think
3: so. Yeah, and and basically, Sounds like. I don't recall it being shot more than once. Once, to be honest, but it could have been. It could. Have, I'm sure there were you know full starts or whatever, but
0: you know. But unlikely, uh, not more than one full take, which is what ended up in the completed film. Now, two things uh, come to mind. One is that with everything that's been written about him over the years, I know a lot of uh, Kubrick fans love knowing uh, what you just described, that he was malleable he would come in with ideas. But if an actor offered up something that he had not thought of himself and and he liked it, he said, right, we're we're going with that. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool.
3: Yeah.
0: I I don't, I don't, I
3: don't think he decided, you know,
0: uh, his, his critics
3: I think falsely think he is like that they would think that he is someone who is what's dictatorial you know and kind yeah of like, yeah because he knows what he wants well to give him 110 percent, but actually I think he he comes from this you know he knows what he wants prepare as well as you can but like in I feel that in music I, I probably take that from those experiences subconsciously is that mm. you know the accidents happen and be prepared to capture them because those yes. can be things that work and you know if you're if you stick to the script too much it becomes stayed mm-hmm. and, and i think he was a master at that actually sort of being able to i mean like you know dr strange loved the slapstick side of that and the peter sellers how he was yeah I, I don't think he would have had a chance in hell of telling Sellers, can you do that again? But maybe not say. Yeah,
0: that. right, right. He just about
3: go for it and capture it, and you capture you know magical moments. And some don't work out, but you know, I think that's how he did things.
0: I completely concur with your uh music analogy. Do you ever come across uh, when when you're mixing i i, I, I call them the, i call them ghost notes? They're they're just. I know there's a scientific explanation for it. It's an overtone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but there's something and and I almost hear like something that will sound like a couple of piano notes. And I'm thinking, but I didn't add a piano track to this. Yeah, and it's yeah. just a happy it's a happy accident. As you say, it's yeah. not in your script. And then you're a fool to not go with it, you know, no, so you absolutely. leave it in. No, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you know.
3: I mean, when I with making music, I never. Um, I'm not a big fan on uh, total recall. You know, saving songs and then mm-hmm, looking them up mm-hmm. and back to them. It's like if it's not sounding good now, then I'll rip it down and start again. Right, than right. Trying to fit. You know, I, I've learned over the years that trying to make things work sometimes is really a pain in the ass. To be honest, you know, you kind yeah, your best just to say, look, it's not working. Let's start again and do something else. And you know. Uh, to a certain extent that, that comes from, you know, these experiences of just seeing how things get done, you know, the
4: the
3: results don't, there's not really a correlation between hours put in and best results. Sometimes it's actually, there is hours put in in knowing your craft and knowing what you're doing, having the knowledge and, and stuff like that. But, you know, actually things can happen very quickly or very slowly. And you, you, you're in the middle trying to balance this, but you've got to capture those moments. And I, I do do that now. And I, I've often thought, does that come from my experiences of, you know, relatively small experiences of doing, you know, film or TV or whatever. Mm. When I was very young, but I, you know, I don't recall it being analytical and I, it, it's not, stand there say these lines then turn to him then say that then it it, it wasn't like that it was kind of like this is the scene you're meant to go up to him and you're meant to see this and now you know let's let's see what it looks like and and i think that's more the approach that he took and that's the approach i take you know in my music it's not about
0: controlling everything it's about indeed capturing indeed i mean um i i like to say that uh, you know one of the secrets for uh, having a, a, a happy journey as a creative person is that you know we're not meant to think our way through life rather we should be feeling our way through the process as yeah. it will often result in uh, what you were after all along
3: yeah oh no for sure hey. I, I have to say one thing here at some because I, I, I play guitar but you know, I started on guitar but my favorite Uh, musicians my favorite uh guitarist musicians for example would be i think it's the same mindset it's kind of and and the talent or the genius side comes from being a hundred percent proficient with your craft yes but but you've gone beyond it you've left it behind you can exactly yes i do yeah as a musician it's mechanical to a certain extent. And the greatest musicians have gone beyond. They they've got the mechanics, but they can. forget right. them, You know, right, they, right. Who think that technicality gets you the ultimate results are forgetting that the real geniuses and the real talent out there, they've got all of that, but they've let it go and they exactly you know, Yeah. And I think that's a correlation, you know, I think Someone like Kubrick would, would know exactly how to get the best thing out of actors, out of technology. But ultimately, when he comes to filming a scene, he moves into a different mode. Yes. Now I'm looking at this and I'm just feeling it and I'm seeing it. And right. I, I, and, and that's all. I've done all the stuff about lenses and position of and lighting and everything. But now I have to forget that and I move into another territory, which is the creative territory and the capturing of the moment and right. that's a very different world you know i mean that's all i'm trying to say
0: well i want to i want to touch upon that
3: <laughs> has he gone again he's gone again
0: <laughs> he's gone again hold on i'm here can you know yep, yep, can yep, you yep. hear me I, yeah, yeah, yeah okay i heard everything you were just saying there my man <laughs> you were just Not about to worry
2: you were just about to touch upon i was
0: just something. well i was I, yeah um the uh Uh, The the final anecdote I wanted to uh, relay with guitar players was uh, germane to what we're talking about with, you know, however one approaches it. And again, the rule book, um, because, of course, you know, Kubrick, you know, had had self-educated entirely on filmmaking. Yeah. um, Apart from the system. Now, you have a young guy uh, in Seattle, Washington, named uh, James Hendricks. And uh, his his dad has uh, an immense uh, record collection of blues and R&B. And young Jimmy learns how to copy every uh, uh, guitar player from B.B. King to uh, Muddy Waters. Yeah. And uh, he, des- he decides to go and do his first open mic night. And the story goes that as he's walking out the door, his father, Al, turned to him and said, right, I know you know how to play like every one of those cats. But tonight, when you go up on stage, you can't sound like any of them. It has to sound like Jimmy. Yeah. And that was a seminal moment, and I always love hearing about that because yeah. there you have a a perfect example. And Kubrick did this undoubtedly with you know his entire body of work is you know you learn from the masters you know and, and that rule book uh, yeah. is your bible. But then at the end, you know you've added a few new rules and then the next ones to come along and read that edition of the rule book, you know, yeah. they've, they've, they've gained from your uh, contribution as well. Now, of course, Stanley was a jazz drummer. And from what I okay, understand, I I yeah, can, uh, mm. he, he played, he played jazz uh, drums, not just in a uh, uh, high school band, but um, more as a, as, a, as a, as a well, a, a drummer in a jazz band, you know, that played around New York. Yeah. And from what I understand, he was no, you know, mere timekeeper. Now, I've been a drummer since I was about eight or nine years old. Yeah. And I saw I saw Buddy Rich on The Muppet Show. Okay. And there, there, there were a couple other influences uh, in in uh, 76, uh, about a year after. Uh, you were in Barry Lyndon. I was about mm-hmm. five and a half, and my dad took me to see Led Zeppelin, The Song okay. Remains, the same concert film. As a drum. And my dad said, work. yeah, yeah, my dad said you were not the same person after that. You would not stop pestering your mother and I to buy you a drum kit. You were five and a half, and we finally broke down and got you one for, I th- think he said it was my ninth birthday, Yeah, where I got a proper kit. So my uh, affinity for... Stanley, you know, goes beyond uh, all the other reverence I have for him, because I know as a drummer, what it really boils down to is that it's 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 this freeform math, which requires the utmost dedication. And it's a strange Mm -hmm. way to describe it. But it's like the marriage of odds and evens. Now, follow me here. You've got four different limbs. Yeah. Each extremity is working independently of the, the mm-hmm. other. There's your number four. Yeah. And the odd number, the fifth, is your head. The, yeah. the brain which is controlling all of these independent things and making one thing happen yeah. from it. And yeah. for, Stan- for Stanley to have his origins as a drummer, when I watch his films, I mm-hmm. I, I, I hear it, yeah. if that makes sense. I hear yeah. him as a drummer moving through, you know, time in his own way. Yeah.
3: Well, no, I think that's the thing you, you have to, I think you can see it because it's there. He's, he's, um, it's the kind of freedom. That's the tricky thing. It's what I I can't really, I don't know how to say it, but you know, like you're saying with your, your head is in control, but Mm. it, it can't be dictating. It's just keeping it together somehow, but mm. the freedom has to be has to be taking place, you know, and uh, and in musical terms, you know, it's it's like uh, the improvisational side of things. I mean, yeah. I've thought with improvising. Actually, the only true improvising is when you first pick up an instrument and you've got no clue what to
0: do with it. That's. Oh, that's improvised. fascinating.
3: Yeah. Because after that, you're learning tricks. You know what I mean? The, well, what
0: yeah, of course I do
3: you know you pick up a guitar you, you you learn a g chord well you can't really improvise anymore because you know that g chord and whenever yeah. you pick up a guitar your fingers are going to plop on it and play a g chord uh, and you know i kind of think that somehow you've got to transcend that and i think capture the feeling of not knowing what a g chord is or not knowing what what a beat is or not trying to be uh, john bonham you know
0: yeah yeah uh I get it. I think that's a brilliant uh, uh, way of looking at it. I hadn't ever uh, thought of it that way before, but you're absolutely right. Like the well, only I mean, time you're ever improvising is that very first time. Brilliant. Yeah, because,
3: you know, I mean, one of my favorite, well, favorite guitarists is uh, uh, Alan Holdsworth. You know? Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, and, yeah.
3: And, uh, and the thing is, incredible, you know, Incredible. And I think he surpassed that. You know, he, he got to the point where improvisation was... Again, free, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, he had technique and knowledge that was immense, but he's one of the rare few who 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 surpassed it. You know what I mean? So I've always thought that I, I, I've i always thought there's very few guitarists when when they're improvising. No, they're, they're actually using things that are just lodged in there somehow. And you're pulling out different things and you're combining them differently. But true improvisation is a is a different thing. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, no, irrelevant to you know the topic, maybe. No,
0: no, it's it's yeah. great. It is it it is relevant in that you know, look, Stanley and and uh, Christiana were lifelong you know music obsessives together, mm-hmm. and it, the stories are legion of just the size of uh, their record collection alone, yeah, um, and all that. But you know, the fact that he uh, was a musician. Uh, always makes it, you know, uh, cool and relevant to uh, bring these bits into the conversations regarding him. Um, And I I was just going to say with regards to what you mentioned to Alan Holdsworth going beyond, so he came back to improvisation being fresh and new again. Yeah. One of the the funny things I always notice, um, I'm obviously a big Led Zeppelin fan, you know, that that there's so many... You know, cover bands out there, the the overwhelming majority of them, in fact, you know, whether it's on YouTube or they go up on stage, right? They bring three guitar players up there to replicate, you know, facsimile yeah. versions of the yeah. studio songs, and they never realize that Zeppelin never played the, a song the same way twice.
3: No, exactly. And I mean, when they, I listen, when if they when wanted you to, they,
0: they right, would. exactly, right, even if they wanted to. <laughs> And Um, when you listen to Jimmy Page, like, it's obvious that his knowledge of Western and Eastern scales were so fluid that he could just slip in and out between them. But like Alan Holdsworth, you know, and again, with Kubrick, with his mastery of the craft, they just go beyond that into like, right, I'll grab this bit here. I'll grab that uh, part there. Um, the, The incredible jazz drummer, Billy Cobham. Yeah. Uh, once said that uh, that when he's playing he envisions this rather large wheel he sees a big invisible wheel hovering over his drum kit and it's mm-hmm. constantly rotating as he's playing and he's just thinking right i'll grab this part here i'm gonna grab that off the wheel and now yeah. here and now this i love that yeah yeah but i mean it, just listening to to what, what you
3: say there you you have to be on a serious level Yeah. To get to that kind of, you know, I mean, like you said about uh, Jimmy Page is is the kind of thing of uh, doing that, but without it sounding like you know what you're doing, you know, and and, yeah, uh, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, I'm going to throw in an Eastern thing here or whatever. No, it's just playing and also in and the sum of it ending up sounding unlike anyone else. I mean, that's where the, the magical part happens that you know, you, you can't really analyze is kind of, why does Page always sound like Page, whether he's playing a straight ahead blues or doing something, you know, slightly out there. It's Paige. And that's the thing that's hard to sort of grasp is how come some people, you know, have that ability and you know, and in this topic, Kubrick, you know, how how can he constantly make a film? You know, every film of his has a different Aesthetic almost, you know, but it's so true, but it's him, and you can tell, but you know, he didn't really revisit visually. I'm talking, I mean, we could analyze it probably much deeper for every aspect of it, but you know, visually, he moved on from everything he did, but it still ended up being a Kubrick film, and you could tell the way, you know, and that's yeah, where mastery comes in, you know, It's,
0: it's well. To your point, I mean, I, I want to get to the big shoe scene because that's another one <laughs> which I often feel can be, you know, almost extracted. And were it placed in another Kubrick film, it would feel incredible. That handheld yep. shot um, of the fight scene, but, yeah. and I'll come to that, but the other one is just a very brief shot. And it's the scene where um, we presume it was a stunt person playing you gets uh, thrown from the horse. Yeah, And it's just so jarring that as Ryan O'Neill is being told about the events that just took place, we cut to this shot and it is just so powerfully Kubrick that, I don't know, eight or nine second shot. And we hear the horse whinny as it rears up and it puts, it literally puts a chill right down my spine Mm -hmm. that it's so Kubrick. It's like you said, I mean, his, uh, uh, entire body of work, you can always find an element where it's like, yeah, yeah. no, that's nobody else but Stanley. And yeah. yet it doesn't need to exist uh, in say Full Metal Jacket or Dr. Strangelove, oh, no. but yeah. it I mean, could find, work.
3: Same, yeah, but I find he, he, those moments, you know, I mean, they're, they're well, you know, every people know them, but uh, you know, like uh, uh, the, the, in 2001, the silence. Yeah. When, when he goes. Oh, yeah. When he's out lost in space, you know, the silence, uh, the that, you know, it's technically accurate, but no yeah. one would ever do it. You know, right. it was anti, you know, drama. Yeah. But you watch it and you're like, man, wow, that's heavy. Yeah. And, and but it's not something he would repeat either. Every time he does it, he finds a different angle and a different way of as you say, jarring you of hitting you, you know, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's a sign of, you know, someone who's again, on this different level, in my opinion, it's just, you know, it's not looking for gimmicks. It's not tricks. It's like, how, Clearly. how do I make this scene hit you and always finding a twist, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a very visceral, visceral approach to, uh, uh, getting that, uh, that hit, as you say, yeah. Uh, that reaction from the viewer, because it just, it works. And your example for 2001 is spot on. I mean, the silences are, are what make it work. And of course, yeah. we know now a lot of people, you know, had a problem with it at the time. And George Lucas, you know, of course, was so moved by it that, you know, he wanted to do his own space opera. Yeah. And uh, I think I think he said that he very much wanted to do no sound in outer space, but... But he knew that the yeah, yeah it wouldn't work for Star Wars you no know? exactly yeah. It's, and, uh, on, yeah only only Kubrick could have pulled that off and when you yeah. juxtapose uh, the 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 protracted silences in uh, 2001 with the uh, scenes that have classical music yeah. it's just it's just painfully evident <laughs> this is yeah. this is a this is a person operating on another level as you yeah. say no, and, and knowing how to intuit when to use which approach. Yep. Uh, um, now, I mean, to the big shoe scene, because I gotta get to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's the other one, especially when it comes to the handheld shot of the fight scene. Yep. Um, now, I have to start by saying that because I was at the uh, Barry Lyndon with live orchestra event in yep. April, the scene what begin begins with you coming in in the big shoes, and three thousand two hundred people are just side splitting with laughter, and mm-hmm. and I, I saw that I was right there in it, and uh, just so you know,
1: yeah. uh, people That's people have
0: people still have a real affection for uh, your turn as Brian, and especially in in moments like that, man. Yeah, it's it just it it just. Proves that uh, the the subtlety of his humor uh, is is kind of more relevant now. Uh, It's than ever. It certainly seems to be better understood. I don't know if audiences are smarter today. Um, I don't know either.
3: I mean, I think uh, you know.
0: For me, it's hard to uh, to
3: say if you know. But I think if I that scene specifically, I I remember it being a funny scene. You know, I mean it was put into me to be be funny, even though it's a serious, I mean, you know what I mean? There's a kind of, you know, feeling that, I mean, if I look at it, I I see it as sort of silly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, of course. But but kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of, well, very natural as well. It was kind of like, be naive, you know? Mm. Uh, Like a kid who's having fun almost, for the first time some in some ways or in in that situation you know I kind of felt like uh, I, I just had to be naive you know just go in there and be how I was you know not right not there no acting just kind of you know look at the reaction of the people you know and, and and do it you know and and again it's obviously I you know I remember making the scene but I don't remember the specifics of it but i remember it being a funny scene even at the time and well, I, don't, you clearly... I don't actually know whether i was whether i knew what was coming if you know what i mean uh yeah uh, the, again the the fight is obviously intense when you're in front of it and they weren't walking mm-hmm. around i mean they, right. were, they were at it so yeah i can't re- recall my you know whether i knew that was going to happen or whatever but you know
0: it was well just, you d- you definitely look like you're having fun. Oh, uh, I was fun. Yeah. In in that scene, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and no, just and a, just really us. enjoying yourself. Yeah. Um that that I mean, big grin on your of, face.
3: Yeah. I I I think I was told, be, you know, you're the center of attention here, you know. Uh,
0: but but young Brian is watching all these grown-ups behave like animals Like you children. Just have this yeah, <laughs> yeah, like children, yeah, and you okay. have this smile like this is fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. look at look at the mayhem all okay. around me. Yeah. And th- and that's that's a testament to your, uh, you know, acting chops, even as a young man, that you were able to convey that because it still shines through. I okay, mean, I, well, that's it, good to know. I mean, I look
3: back and I'm kind of like, mm,
0: you know. That's no, me. no, no, man. You know, I'm but telling I mean, you that scene, you killed it. In, you know, thirty two hundred people no, were, good. you know, loving your performance and laughing when you came in in the big shoes that yeah. one landed that definitely landed um, and, yeah, well, uh, well for- i want to ask if if you if you have any recollections of uh of seeing stanley smile or or laugh uh when you came Honestly, in in the big no. shoes yeah and i That's really cool. don't i don't recall
3: the, those those specifics i mean you know i i think you know there, there is also that I mean i'm sure it must have happened and i'm sure he must have said to me you know well done or you know nice you know mm-hmm. or, or you know whatever but but i guess you know he he's behind the camera he's out the way you know what i mean right. it's that thing you're you're you know i have a lot of recollections of interacting with other actors mm-hmm. uh but not not with him uh sadly i mean you know it would have been great to say oh yeah we sat down and discussed <laughs> this mm-hmm. the other but You know, I have this feeling that, you know, he took all the time in the world for you when it was needed and and everything, but he was a busy guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. The dot's done, okay, that's it. And then he's gone, you know, and and not in a negative way at all, but just, you know, (laughs) Yeah. You know. Also I was in a comfortable place anyway, you know, the the actors around me were, were nice and um, you know, so i i guess that's what i was i was just being a kid you know and uh you know and he was well he he wasn't getting in the way of that you know he he was i think probably like a good director should or again linking it to music like a good producer they shouldn't stamp their authority on everything they should be mm. there to capture things and to make sure that the that the the best the end result is as 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 good as it can be, but without getting in the way of it. And I think that's how I
0: I see him, you know. Mm. Well, I mean, that's fascinating because, you know, a lot of people and actors who work for him, notably Malcolm McDowell, you know, Mm -hmm. was, you know, to to put it one way, was disappointed that there wasn't some great friendship that blossomed after working together. But it's a byproduct of, you know, Kubrick's mind, I think, when you have somebody who's... His, whose brain function is so highly compartmentalized, right? Yeah. That, as you say, it's like right. I'm I'm being here now, in the yeah. moment, a very zen kind of approach. But then it's like right. Okay, that's done. Now I have to take care of this. That yeah. speaks to his levels of responsibility.
4: Yeah, which is sure. a whole
0: other stuff, a whole other yeah. layer of of fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, well, and and- also, I
3: think it's on a different sort of. I don't know, probably, I, I don't know, do you, do you get snooker in the States, you know, the the game? Uh, I, I, I know snooker, of but course. Yeah, pool, but it, we I, have pool. I think the great snooker players are thinking not two shots ahead, not three shots. They're thinking, you know, way down the line. And I think you have to think of someone like Kubrick as working on that level as well. He's thinking of three other projects. By the time this one's finished, he's down the line. He's gone. You know, so this idea that he would then hang out with you or be bummed, yeah. chummy, chummy with you or or remember you even to a certain extent i mean you know i you know i don't uh, i didn't get a christmas card you know it's like yeah of, right. <laughs> you, you, i think he it's when people are working at the top level there's a lot of pressure they're 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 dealing with it their way and all i can say about uh kubrick is you know i i recall him being being there and being mm very friendly and very uh, supportive and very you know getting through the scene saying the right thing but not saying anything if he didn't need to say anything and, and that kind of thing but there was no relationship you know outside of this i don't think between him and and, and most actors or adult or child you know i think you know, he, he was just too busy and too serious and too, you know, thinking ahead and moving on and constantly yeah. moving on and looking for things and not, you know, once it's done, it's done, move on. Doing, and most people tend to think, you know, hey, oh, we work together. Hi, you know, how about doing this again? And it kind of yeah, yeah. I don't think he would be into that. You know, why would he talk about something he did? You know, it's done. Look at it. If you like it, great. Uh, I'm doing this now, you know?
0: yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's That's, he's not going to be able to come around for a cup of tea.
3: No, and also he know. probably looks back on things in a or looked back on things in a very different way. You know, to to how people look at his films. He's it's like again with music. Do you, you know, I don't. If you rest on your laurels, it's a very dangerous thing. So if you, amen. You know, you've done one good song or one good film or whatever.
4: Is, is, isn't that the
0: truth? Is it that not the absolute truth, though, David, because I I feel that there's this moment in time after I've completed the recording of a song that I'm finally pleased with, and that's not to say I'll over-obsess about the process, Um, but there's this moment in time where you, you think, right, I had this melody come to me, perhaps from the ether. I knew it was my job to pull it down and make it real and, yeah. and tangible, otherwise it would never exist in the world for others to hear, right? Yeah. So I, I I did that, I, I composed the chords, I added the piano and drums and vocals, I wrote lyrics for it. Um, it's been mixed uh, I, and you know redone. I'm finally ready to uh, put it on SoundCloud tomorrow and yeah. like a child, let it go out into the world to kind of stand on its own merits. But there's something that nobody else gets to have which you have uh alone i'm sure you can relate to this yeah and and stanley probably did as well when he was looking at uh, an edit he uh, you know felt was the final one where you're like a a parent of a newborn you're alone with this creation your child and then you realize okay in the morning i have to put it out on the internet or you know in the world and then it's then it's over yeah and and you're yeah, moving on, as you say, not yeah. resting on your laurels. You're already—I remember reading about the Stones uh, uh, saying that, you know, oh gosh, by the time our our latest record hit the shelves, you know, Mick and Keith were already, you know, uh, 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 done with, you know, half of the next album in the recording. Scene. Yeah. I mean, they were they were they were sick of uh, honky tonk women by the time it went to number one.
3: Yeah.
0: And no, I mean that's the, the yeah.
3: thing—you have to, you know, and and it's great if people still like it, uh, you know, I mean, and it's fantastic and it can help your career and it can be good for you and everything, but you know, you're no longer there. You're, you're elsewhere, you know? So, I mean that anyway, in, in these terms, you know, I'm just saying, you know, with Stanley on set, I kind of have uh, visual memories of him and I Mm -hmm. can hear him occasionally saying, you know, let's do this or, You know, there were certain moments that were more intimate, you know, death scenes and stuff like that, where, you know, he was clearly, you know, more there, more present in a certain way. But Mm -hmm. apart from that, you know, he's, you know, my recollections of him are are very vague, uh, Mm. whereas for other other actors, they're more, you know, real. You know, so, so that's why, you know, disappointingly, I just, you know, I was just too young to to kind of have any conversations with him or more, uh, more than be told what to do or you know well done or you know let's do this now and have you learned that kind of thing you know very small fragments which you know it's a shame but I mean i I also had moments with me and two actors and him in a room kind of so mm-hmm, you know.
0: mm-hmm
3: but just too young to remember them in specifics.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the beauty of, uh, memories from childhood. I think whatever yeah, they yep. may be that yeah. it is, it is more sensory. And as, as long as, you know, you have fond memories of, oh, of, yeah, of working with I, Stanley. Mean,
4: yeah.
0: Listen, we're, we're only too happy to share your stories with the world. And it's really an honor to get a chance to chat with you about all this stuff. Cause It's just fun, you know, and uh... I mean,
3: for me, and it's a a massive thing in my life. I mean, you know, I I mean, you know, I I I sort of look back and think, man, you know, Mm -hmm. how lucky do you get? You know, I I kind of like if I was going to be in one film and I I think I can distance myself from having been in a film and thinking he's a great director. You know, I can Mm -hmm. I, I can be very analytical about these things and I can look back and say, you know what, you know, just it's not because I was in it that I think he's a brilliant director. He is a brilliant director.
0: there's so, no question. You
3: know, and and so I mean he's back, our I'm he's saying, our favorite obviously <laughs> well, yeah, mine too. and you know I, I do have the personal thing that obviously tilts it, but mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Know, I can look at films and say whether I like them or not or whether they touch me or whatever. and right. he's he's you know in the top one or two for me, you know, so I mean that you know, and i I, I sort of think you know that. For me, looking back at it, it, it's such a great thing. I mean, you know, if you could be in one film, which, you know, which director would you choose? You know, I think a lot of people are going to make the choice I had, you know. Uh, So I consider it so lucky and so amazing. And then also, you know, having gone on to do what I do, which I'm happy with. Yeah. But still seeing a link to it, I still feel. Somehow that if I hadn't done that, my life would have been very different and I probably Mm -hmm. would have been less uh, aware or prepared or whatever for doing what I do. It is kind of, you know, having spent quite a long time on a film set with, you know, on a very on a serious level, not just a fun, fun thing, but doing something of big production with a lot Mm -hmm. of professional people probably did subconsciously dig in somewhere so that later on I knew it's not, it's no good. I've always said this with, with my, my music is like, um, when I put it out there, it's, you know, personally, I, I, don't really mind if people don't like it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Because you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's what I do. And why should everyone like it? I mean, totally cool with that.
0: Exactly. But at the same yes. time
3: I'm prepared to put it out there and, and let it be compared with anything. You know, I don't, I'm not frightened of anything. If people don't like it, that's fine. But if someone says, you know, it's really crappy, then I'll say, no, it isn't, though, because I know what I do is what I want
0: it to be. And, and exactly. I I so I think... Yeah, if they if they, they don't get it, you know. if, they, yeah, if the listener, you know, or the viewer, uh, yeah. in the case of Kubrick, like, doesn't get it, that's entirely different than, uh, yeah, I, I, you I, know, I mean, the I, objective I, merits of it.
3: No, exactly, uh, and I think Kubrick also probably got, you know, if if a if a review put it down because it was you know badly filmed, he'd probably feel, hey, you know, screw you, that's not right, you know, you can't just say. But that's the same with me. If someone says, oh, I you know I don't like it because, and it's obviously bullshit, uh-huh. I'll, I'll get upset. <laughs> but if someone says it's I it's not my thing, I don't get it. Like, that, that's great. That's fine. You know, I hate it if people say, "Oh yeah, that's nice." You know, no, I want someone. To right. Say, I, I love. Yeah. That, or, I <laughs> really don't get it. You know, being nice or
0: people. It's like it's all right.
3: Sucks. You know. It's, it's, like,
0: it's like when you show something to someone, that, you know, something that you're really proud of to someone you look up to, and they say, "Cool," and change yeah, the subject, exactly. and they change yeah. the subject. You know. Yeah.
3: No, no, I mean, want but them to say, "Oh God, I can't stand that."
0: Or, well, I love. You know. Yes, yes. And I, I think for us as musicians and, you know, how it applies to Kubrick that, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, the only enemy is indifference. Uh, you know, if you if you have a, a reaction, whether it's it's pro or con, that's fine. Yes. As long as, you know, you don't sit through 2001 and go like, eh, you
3: yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like
0: for, I like Forbidden Planet yeah. a lot better. I can, uh, they should have got William Shatner. It would have been
3: better. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. Who is Stanley Kubrick?
5: Um, well I'm six and my name is Evie.
2: Okay, can you tell us who is
1: Stanley Kubrick?
5: Um, a filmmaker. Um he made Um, Clockwork Orange, and he made Paths of Glory, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, 2001 Space Odyssey, Eyes Wide Shut, Spartacus, Full Metal Jacket, Doctor Strange Love, How I Stop Stopped Oh, how I And Love the Bomb. Wall Eater. Killer's Kiss. Fear and Desire. The Seafarers. Flying Padre. And finally, Day and Day of the Fight.
3: Again, with Kubrick, you know, he existed at the perfect moment you know he started in the old school yes uh, yes he, he he understood that background of you needed the the studios to fund things and you needed them those people but he was around where you could move off into territories that were those that the studios wouldn't have touched with a barge pole before you know they the kind of so you know it's also about mm. where where you exist and you know your time and he existed in a perfect period between that old school way and the modern independent way of making films and being able to do that. So there's a lot yeah. of luck involved as well. And I'm glad I'm not a millennial watching Blade Runner 2049. Or yeah, right,
0: right, right. And, and not
3: understanding that, you know,
0: for me, Blade Runner
3: is one of the, you know, one of the greatest films ever. I yeah.
0: Oh, oh me too.
3: Rutger is
0: one of my, I just think he's, you know, a hero as an actor. I Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and he so. wasn't even, he wasn't even nominated for best supporting actor for that. Yeah, performance. No, I mean, it's
3: incredible. You know, it's just like, if you can't, you know,
0: so, I mean,
3: I'm Harrison just so Ford happy.
0: said it was, it, it was, it was in memory, like one of his fondest experiences working with another actor, the scenes he did with Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and, you know,
3: I think that's why, you know, I, I, I think, you know, things, you can have a side where things affect you, um, I don't know, on, on various levels. But I think I grew up in an era as well where those films, you know, Blade Runner mm-hmm. came out when I mean, you know, these are films made where you actually had to build sets where you, had yep. to, you know, you had to have a, an idea of how it would look. You had to know how to film things. You couldn't fix it in post pro. You couldn't edit things out that weren't there or put them in or whatever you had mm-hmm. to get it right and that's why they have such an effect on people because they're real it happens
0: yes yes you know? well i can when b-
3: you go to the cinema it's kind of it's yeah a vague world you know it's like
0: it's if, it's 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 like you were saying with music it's you know and what's happening to it today it's almost like what i call like the mcdonald's of music, like you know, let's just dumb it down. Let's put everything in C major or G major, yeah.
3: and hook well, them with that opening bar. That. You, you, you yeah, can throw yeah. you can throw it together in a computer and it will sort right, it out right, right, tempo and the pitch and everything. And you know, when I was growing up, you know, in music,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I, I I had one foot in the past as well because I had to know how to use a, a tape machine, a four track, and I had yes, to get, yeah, m- you Me know, too. more instruments onto it than than you could. So yep. you worked out,
0: and now. I, I, I still build my songs the old-fashioned Beatles way. I track yep. by track, I ping yep. pong, and and layer instruments on top of others to uh, free up space. Well, because God, very... God help me, but I love a challenge, right? <laughs> no, no,
3: but also it's a very it, again uh, relating to film. It's capturing a moment. If you, yes, if you, you know, on, on a if you if you capture moments, you know that's what's important for me about music. If, if whereas. Uh, and again, that's what directors used to have to do. You know, there was no way out of it. If you didn't have it in the can, mm-hmm. it didn't
0: exist. It you didn't know? exist exactly. And
3: that's me with music, if it's not, if I don't capture it now, it. I, I don't want to go back to it again. I don't want to change it later or see what options there are. You know, it's, right. it's either right or it isn't. You know, and and then you capture it and then you move on. Yes. And then you can, yes. You can move on because if you keep things all your options open. You don't move on. You're looking behind. You're saying, well, if it doesn't work out, we can still get that bit or whatever. And I think that's the difference between, you know, the era that Kubrick was filming and making films in. It had to be made. It had to be finished. It had to be done.
0: Yes, now precisely open ended, you know, you can oh, we could re-edit, we could do this. Yeah. Do with that. avid, you know, nonlinear yeah, exactly. uh, editing, you can just go in and, and uh, you could be you could be George Lucas and then go and, and you know, try to perfect Star Wars, yeah. you know, over the years. And and, you know, the saying the artist knows when to stop painting. Yeah. And, and, and I wish more people did. It's like my aunt uh, Joan is an, uh, an artist and she has an expression. Yeah. It just has to be good enough for now. There has yeah. to come a time, but a time, true, yeah. a moment when you say, ah, OK, yeah. I, 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 I know I would have liked to have done this differently, but I'm pleased with it. Time to yeah. put it out. And as you say, move on. And I, I want to tie that in with uh, film as well, because how that relates to music is I think with Kubrick, as yeah. you say, being at the at the right place at the right time, you know, he had that old school approach to filmmaking. He started as a guerrilla filmmaker. Yeah. He was also able to, again, compartmentalize his brain function because of his yeah. years uh, mastering the game of chess. Yeah. And, as you know, as you were saying about snooker players, like thinking, you know, three, four, five, eight moves ahead. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a guy who wants uh, to make a masterpiece about, that looks like a Renaissance painting, but yeah. use... It, it, camera lens is developed for NASA, and no, right. and we have and yeah and we have uh, real quick that our uh, our approach sounds similar in that I also love having some vintage gear, nothing greater than an old mic, and yet you know if I want to work in GarageBand, yeah yeah, it's really cool to marry the old and the new in our exactly. own way. I think Kubrick very much did that. Yeah, sorry to go uh, on, but please no yeah. no
3: no no, but it's fine. But but I think the. the
0: if we go right back to the beginning the
3: candle scene you know Mm -hmm. uh, again it he had to do it and now you have other options but they will never replace the having to do it option but people will choose it you know you can say uh you know let's make it look like it was done by candlelight and you're getting close to it being virtually you know you can film in, in a in a lit room and you can transform it into a candle lit room
2: mm. and it
3: and it gets close with modern technology and software mm-hmm. but it will never replace it it cannot you know because that was real and and you know and, yeah. and the brain can differentiate oh, yeah. between 99.9% and 100% if it's 100% the brain it's there it's it's real if it's well, 99% the brain is like that looks real. Uh, yeah. But there's, but there's something there that that your brain can tell, but it isn't a hundred percent, is it?
0: You know? it? No, exactly. But that is also un- generationally unique because I remember reading an interesting article uh, when CGI uh, first came into its own and then yep. uh, evolved. And uh, they were saying that, uh, you know, for, Uh, Generation X and the Baby Boom, any of us who grew up on say Bugs Bunny cartoons, when we watch say Lord of the Rings and there's all these mountains are falling and fire and everything, what they have to do is beef up the visual imagery with a lot of enhanced sound effects to give it weight, to give those shots weight because the brains of our generation and our predecessors we register that as rather like a cartoon. We yeah. know Bugs Bunny it can fall off a cliff and he's not going to die. Yeah. And and yet, what was interesting is the article pointed out that for the next generation, say the millennials, you know, who didn't grow up on Bugs Bunny or practical effects. Yeah. Um, you know, when like you said, you you had to capture it in the can. You people were building sets. They never grew up on that. So there's no context for them to watch a CGI Avengers movie. It's like, wow, that's so cool. It looks so real. And we're going, "Mm,
3: (laughs) doesn't. It's totally what I've always said. This is, it's the thing of, if you we, the the Bugs Bunny thing, Mm. you know, because it's clearly not real, our brains can almost move into that world it's not pretending to be real. It, right. it is what it is. You know, if you see cartoons, they're cartoons. That's why, you know, I had this thing with, with my kids and my wife when they when they were very young. It was it hit at the same time as when cartoons became almost realistic. But it right. took away right. all of that side of it. You know, being yes, hopefully not realistic. So your brain evolved into, you know, it, or entered that world. And, and mm-hmm. it's. It, I'm not saying it became real, but you knew it wasn't real, so you were allowed to fantasize. Your your imagination was with it. When things become nearly real, like cartoons these days, where it's virtually real or whatever, your brain isn't allowed to fantasize. It's just seeing. It's yes. seeing what is, but it's not quite there. So, I, you know, I don't get that world. You know, I, yeah, I'm in the old world where it, all, what you've got to do is imply what it is if you imply what something is your brain can connect the dots if you're telling people this is what it is by nearly being there your brain doesn't connect the dots and it and it loses something
0: yes yes well that is a a further testament to kubrick's genius is that you know he's the rarest of filmmakers and that he never insults the viewer's intelligence he he trusts that you know they're are people who want things to be left to the imagination for us to fill in the blanks. For me, for example, to have, uh, shown 2001 a space odyssey to someone much younger than myself and try to explain to them, this was made in 1968 and the first proper CGI film wouldn't come along, uh, until I think it was 1990 with James Cameron's the abyss. Um, there were a few dabblings in eighties films, like the last starfighter, Uh, It was a lot of computer-generated effects. Um, And as 80s teens, like, we had affinity for those, but we had that disconnect because we grew up on Blade Runner and, you know, other films with real practical sets. And, you know, I look at Blade Runner and The Shining and other films to an extent, like Being There, uh, the Hal Ashby film with Peter Sellers. Those all came along at a time when I was just... Oh, coming of a certain age, I hope to say I was a bright kid, but I was about 11, you know, when I first discovered The Shining, Blade Runner had just came yeah. out, and being there was about the same time, and those were films that, for the first time in my life, made me stop thinking of, you know, uh, the theater as, we're going to the movies, and there's yeah. going to be a, a space chase, and, or, you know, a, a big action scene, and to begin yeah. thinking about cinema as art. So, the shining was my personal introduction to Kubrick, and, as I've said elsewhere, like I can't even explain whether or not I liked it at eleven years old yeah i just nothing. I just knew that I was hypnotized by it, yeah yeah and that's, that's cool. a testament to kubrick's work, and that happened for me you know at a young age, then again eighties teen during the home video revolution, so I started yeah. watching all the other films and um you know, I remember the first time I saw Barry Lyndon was, you know, it was a, it was two VHS tapes. Yeah. Um, it was too long to put on one tape. And uh, I remember getting to the end of it and just being like, you know, it's not like any of his other films. Yeah. But it's definitely Kubrick. I don't know if I, you know, understand everything I just saw, but I know I'm going to be thinking about this for a long damn
3: time. Yeah. There's too many distractions as well. I mean, we we had the fortune of, you know, there wasn't a hell of a lot of things going on. You know, when a new film came out, it was important. When a new album came out, it was yep.
0: important. Yeah,
3: and, and so you dove into it. You you know, you got right into.
0: You, mm-hmm. I mean,
3: you know, and and then, I don't know. You know, there were important films for every generation, and it seems to have been diluted somehow. I don't know why. And maybe it's just because you know I'm old.
0: No, 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 no! Yeah, I, I've, I remember. I a an old
3: Perry Gilliam, you know. Being, oh gosh, yeah. You know, yeah. you're looking at, you're thinking, It's another world one. is this?" Jesus, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so impressive, so intense, and so humorous, and so dark. You're like that's so... Robert
0: De Niro from Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah, that's seriously, why... yeah, right, right. <laughs> playing, uh, playing this, the heating.
3: Tempo, yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, there's so much humor, but tied into so much depth. And, and, and that doesn't, you know, seem to exist to the same extent these days. And it didn't even maybe exist then either. I mean, there's just, it's just easier to look back and pick up on a handful of films or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. They, those were the films that were there when I was, you know, getting into things and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Oh, you know, how
0: I love, I love Terry Gilliam I, um, years, years before the internet. Everything. I mean, I, I
3: mean, Rick, absolutely. Time bandits, you know, <laughs> the, the Fisher the, King. Films, Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, Time Bandits. I think is one of the most underrated films of all time. You know, it's. it's I could not you could agree look at you it more. like a silly film. Some people look at it, but I think it's genius. It's, and no, it's absolutely.
0: Fantastic. And what about yeah. that final shot? I mean, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. You know, is left with you know no yeah. home, no house, no parents, <laughs> and and like a Kubrick film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there's no easy answer at the end of it. Like, what's going to happen to Kevin? Uh, Years ago, I read in a magazine, I mean, long before the Internet, just some critic in the States here saying that, uh, well, if anyone should be considered the heir apparent to Stanley Kubrick, it would have to be Terry Gilliam. And for me, it was a a, yeah, it was a bit of a validation because I'd always had a subconscious correlation between like, why do I love Terry Gilliam's movies so much, too? And of course, Gilliam is a, a huge and vocal Fan of of Kubrick, yeah, uh, and we're we're proud of him here in the states because he is the only American member of Monty Python. Oh uh, yeah, um, he's but from I mean, Minnesota. He's from the he, same state as Bob Dylan.
3: Yeah, I mean the amazing thing is that you know how he fell in with that rabble, you know, <laughs> with with the, <laughs> with the Monty Python lot. I mean, it's just a crazy coincidence or something. But it, what a perfect. Uh, you know combination i mean i think he you know he had that side already but he mm-hmm. you know but but if he hadn't been in monty python i don't know if if he would have had that side that that shines through in his films you know uh, i i i mean i think he's you know had the best of both worlds as well you know he's got that yeah american yeah. thing going but then he out with those idiots and
0: right yeah idiots my foot yeah. i mean <laughs> no, there's really no shortage of monty python fans in the united states my friend Believe me uh, yeah, i good. mean so Steve and i can talk about this too i can i mean i can basically quote every episode of uh i mean flying circus the young ones yeah, yeah. Uh, Le- league of gentlemen was a latter-day oh, favorite oh
3: dear,
0: yes adore those shows to yeah. no end and I-, I would just point out that like for instance, in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, right? There's that yeah. one sketch where Michael Palin is the drill sergeant and he's saying, you know, does anyone else, uh, you know, have a problem spending all day marching up and down the square? And yeah, the one who says, right, right I'd, I'd, I'd rather go to the pictures. And, right, off you right go then, then. Off you go. But, yeah, <laughs> then, off you go. Anyone uh, else? A book I'd like to read. But, but there's
3: the f- pictures? Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean... Right. Off you go there. I I mean, and it just, it's such a great scene. I mean, comedically in and of itself, but I bring it up to ask that next time you come across it, watch the way Gilliam frames those shots because I can't not see Kubrick. Yeah. There's a flagpole in the foreground. The buildings are perfectly symmetrical in the background. The action is here. There's, uh, uh, you know, stable imagery there. It's all just perfect placement. And, like Kubrick, it's it's brilliant in that you're almost meant to not, not notice it.
1: I think
2: I'm losing you. <laughs> you <need> me, <laughs> yes, we ask, uh, Hold on am I br- We've lost you again. Oh, yes, so. my my my. Am I back? Hey, listen. Can I can I ask a quick question, David? Yeah. Am, am I back? You are back now. Yeah. Yeah. Go, Stephen. Go. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you talked about uh, being there. Be, be, uh, the Al- Hal Ashby film was uh, mentioned uh, about fifteen minutes yeah. ago, uh, and the funny thing is, uh, being there has been mentioned by you two in a different context, not in the film context, about six, five or six times during this call. Because every time you say okay. it, you've been, you know, you've been using that phrase in in just your normal conversation. And, yeah. And I can't help thinking that when I was looking at some of your album tracks last night David being uh, there. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Right. Being, being there. there is on uh, it's on yeah. tilted. Yeah. Is is that anything to do with uh did that title come from the movie or or Yes. Yes. I mean a bit of everything. I mean my titles come from
3: um you know anywhere really. I just tend to you know things that are that that sort of do something to me and it was more about um Peter Sellers
4: um mm.
3: you know rather than the specific film uh, you know i'm a big fan uh, um but more in a as a kind of melancholic side to peter sellers that that yes. got me more than you know as an actor although i love what he did you know but so that was more you know uh, a peter sellers reference uh, and um Interesting.
2: Yeah. And, what, and what about the yeah. track called Shining on the same album? Uh, well, as well, yeah.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, that was also not named after the film as such, but named after the film, the concept of, uh, you know, Danny having a shining, you know. The, mm-hmm. the, the, um, so more to do with um, yeah, someone having something, you know, uh some something you know deep or special or whatever so comes from the film because i you know that, that's clearly where it comes from but it's more you know again i, I you know I, if the, my titles are very uh, most of my music is instrumental and mm-hmm. so there's no lyrical base to it so the titles are very uh vague in general but they, they, they come from somewhere usually
0: and, um, and, and I just want to add that, like Kubrick, I think it's a testament to your craft as a musician that, uh, you know, what, the way you just described choosing your titles hmm. does, like Kubrick, leave it open to interpretation. And I prefer that. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah. Much better.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I also think, you know, like, like the music I make as I've said, it's, it's certainly not for everyone. And, uh, you know, it, it's in general for me, if I like it, I, I, I can put it on a, an album or something. Um, uh, the choice to do it as a career didn't, wasn't really a choice if you know what I mean. It was kind mm-hmm. of, the, the, you know, the, just the direction I went and things kind of happened and opened up for me. So I, I tend to look at things like, you know, um, why was I in a Kubrick film? I don't know. Mm. I mean, you know, it, 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 I don't think it was uh, pure luck. I don't think it was by design or, mm. you know, I think there's elements of everything. But the main thing is it, it happened because I let it maybe, you know, and with with music, you know, things happened because I let them happen. I did. Yes. Things off you know, it wasn't some clever decision to be in a Stanley Kubrick film. It just happened. I was right. lucky. In um, I was in the right place at the right time. But also, it requires you to fulfill the task given to you. It's not just luck. You have to have, you know, so... And I think that's possibly what, what I took away from everything if I look back on it, is mm. the ability to say, you know what? Now seems like the right time to say yes. You know, I'm open to this, even though it's something I, sh- you know it's the first time something's appeared in front of me. It's a kind of sixth sense sixth mm-hmm. sense to say, go with it. This this seems right. And and when I've done that, things have happened. And, you know, and occasionally I must have missed the boat as well, you know, by not taking those choices. But, you know, I, I do think that the music thing and the film thing are linked in the sense that not, that because I was in a film, I decided to do something artistic just because it's always been there. And and I kind of, you know, let things happen.
0: Right, right. I mean, I mean, that is the natural evolution of one's progress, for lack of a better word, that, you know, um, you you should find yourself doing what you always knew you were meant to be doing even before you consciously realized it. And they say that, you know, every, there are three components Uh, that go into the success of of any creative artist, which is, you know, uh, talent, perseverance, and a bit of luck. A lot of actors will say, you know, that they were in the right place at the right time. Vincent D'Onofrio was, you know, cast as uh, Private Pyle because his friend Matthew Modine, you know, uh, said, oh, we send him a videotape and... (laughs) Yeah, uh, and then and then D'Onofrio went on to say, "I owe my entire career to Stanley." You know, so uh, well, you
3: know, and that, that's exactly it. I think you know, it, it can't be. It's a kind of fatalistic view, but uh, but to a certain extent, mm. unfortunately, I, I think that's what it is. I mean, you know, it's been proven time and time again. You know, just if you're born in the wrong place, uh, life sucks. You know, yeah. I look back and think, man, you know, how 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 much. Luckier do you get if you were going to be a child actor and you wanted to do right. one film, you know? That's yeah, I yeah. I, you know, I could have been in six other films and I'd be like, Yeah, okay, it was fun, yeah,
0: yeah. But no, but, but you Barry get, you, at, yeah, at the end of the day, you get to say that you were in one of Kubrick's 13 films, yeah, you know, and and that's and that's, that's remarkable. And you, you will always have that, as they say, that's something they can never take away from you.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I feel that still strongly, you know, and uh, and it's a very nice thing.
0: Yeah, you certainly have
3: something which you just, you know, again, you. I don't tell anyone. I don't talk to people about it I, because it's not really relevant to, mm-hmm. to my modern life. But if anyone asks, it's like, yep, you know. And well, I'm I can also proud, you know, and I'm pleased. And there's nothing. You should be no negatives about it, you know. There'll...
2: Yeah, right. David, how how often do you uh, get asked about about this, about your role in Barry Lyndon? Well,
3: I mean, every so often, someone will post a picture of Barry Lyndon on on Facebook with me tagged in it, and then someone will go, "Why is David tagged?" Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to I have to explain or not, you know. But right. I mean, I don't get No, I don't really, you know, I mean, you haven't it's, been it's asked funny, to do my, my, interviews over
0: the, over the years.
3: Um, no, not,
0: not. Wow. Really, well, honestly, I'm, I'm uh, yeah. even yeah. more glad um, than we got the opportunity. I mean,
3: the, it is just nice reflecting on those things, but of course, you know, there is the, the feeling that, you know, it's, it's not what I'm, what I do. If I'd carried on being an actor, it might mm. be more relevant. I mean and also i was a child actor you know it's not the kind of thing where people really discuss with you if you know what i mean it's kind of like mm-hmm. you know i mean maybe that's again that's a bit the generation you know it was the early 70s if it was the early 80s mm. and i'd been in a kubrick film as a child actor i probably would have had a the chance to have a better career because
1: you would mm-hmm. not pay.
3: you know you would earn enough money to say this is worth giving up everything else for right um and also the media was much more widespread and you were more obvious but in the end i was you know i'm also fully aware that i was just another actor in one of his films Uh, i mean it's not you know well
1: uh, it's a very nice
3: thing and it is a very you know and like we know he's top of the tree but it's still only i'm one part of a big story yeah
0: well I I I just have to uh interject man because you're not just another actor in the sense that for me like and I probably speak for Steven and a lot of other people when I say that Mm -hmm. the scene the scene when Brian is dying yeah and Ryan and Marissa Marissa Berenson are at your bedside I cannot get through it without getting emotional man I I did get told that yeah 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 I mean and, like, and it's she, fu- it's yeah, so. funny because Marissa is so made up in yeah. every other scene in the film but for me like just as a dude like yeah. that scene I mean not that she's crying but she has no makeup on her hair is down I mean yes. that's the scene where she's most gorgeous just to me in my yeah. opinion yeah. yeah and yet it's so it's not about like oh wow she's so pretty that scene is entirely about the 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 heartbreaking yeah uh events that are taking place before the viewer's eyes and you really get sucked into it yeah that's just my opinion
3: i agree it's a it's a you know it's a serious scene i mean it it it, it's a very moving scene even i can see that you know obviously when Mm -hmm. i look at it i mean i i also still feel a bit detached when i watch things because it's like the old me you know yeah 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 me as a kid and the uh, young old me yeah yeah so but again that scene i uh, you know, uh, that's one that was, I remember very vividly making it and, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I can understand why it's why people, you know, get emotional about it. It's a,
1: you know, it's a very powerful scene. The doctors were called, but what does a doctor avail in a contest with the grim, invincible enemy? Such as came could only confirm the hopelessness of the poor child's case. He remained yet with his parents for two days. And a sad comfort it was to know he was in no pain. No, my darling, it's where you were hurt by the horse. But you're going to be all right now.
5: Papa, if I die, will I go to heaven?
1: Of course you will, my darling. But you're not going to die.
5: each other so that we may meet again in heaven. where are pulling to the sequels and people would never
4: go.
1: we crept upon the fort. And I jumped over the wall first. And my fellows jumped after me. And you should have seen the look on the Frenchman's faces when 23 rampaging heat-devil sword and pistol, cut and thrust, pell-mell came tumbling into the fort. In three minutes time,
3: We <laughs> I
0: think it is the, the script, you know, it's, it's,
3: it's very well
0: written. It, it is, but I, I have to add that because we started by uh, asking about your relationship with Ryan on the set, yeah. that there's no way that would have come across as well. I mean, having the script as amazing as it was is one thing. Mm. But the fact that you guys actually bonded, uh, during shooting is, is, is precisely what makes that yeah. connection so real.
3: Yeah. yeah. When oh, no, you go- sure, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, that's the whole, you know, it's how we started, isn't it? Talking about, you know, Kubrick and how he, he knew, you know, this is not by, this isn't good luck that we kind of hit it off or something. Yeah. And, and, and it shows, you know,
0: uh, but, I mean, that's some you know, of Ryan's finest acting in all of his films, yeah. too. That oh, scene, think, you
3: know, I mean, I think if, you know, if you look at it, he's on a par with anyone mm-hmm. at that moment. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's also a heavy I mean, it, I don't think it was an easy film for him. I mean, it's a lot of mm-hmm. you know, people underestimate just how much he would have had to work for that, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing. And uh, and also he, you know. The emotional side you don't look at the film and think i think it was a perfect casting as well because he's not like one of those dominant leading man type things where you say you know if it, the harrison ford type thing you'd be aware it's harrison
2: ford kind of
3: mm. you know i mean there'd always be this to a certain extent
2: yeah i mean uh, robert redford was nearly signed up wasn't he, yeah. for the for the yeah. for the linden role apparently, apparently mm-hmm. so. um, you mm-hmm. know that would
3: have been it would have been a robert redford film yeah right Ultimately, in the for for a lot of people anyway, and actually, it's
0: Barry Lyndon, you know. Yeah,
3: in that yeah, scene, yeah. Barry it's, Lyndon. It's not. It's
0: you know, a great point.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, his choice of casting was very clear on that. That he he probably also thought, you know, he's a good actor, Ryan O'Neill. I mean, I think he's, you know, in that film, I think he's, you know, you couldn't have found a better person. Probably. Oh yeah, yeah not a he, sort of he is barry Lyndon, man you know yeah, yeah I, right I think it works i think it works and i think the whole relationship between me and him um certainly you know adds up to that scene being powerful you know and there's no way around it yeah. yeah
0: yeah um wow yeah it's just fascinating stuff and we could uh uh go Book on for another and on three I'm hours. sure. Yeah, no, exactly David, I'm sorry cuz No, no, it's cool, it's cool. As can happen, you know, we get we get into this and then this much time has gone by and I'm giving yeah, yeah. Stephen way too much uh work in post. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like horrible. Yeah.
2: Well, we could always put we could always put the classic uh Uh, 90 minute intermission into this three hour (laughs) interview (laughs) yes why not (laughs) thanks David and Jason we spoke to David on the 18th of October 2017 don't forget to check out David's music on iTunes just search David Morley And you'll find his albums. And of course, check out the Kubrick film, Barry Lyndon, if you haven't already seen it. Thanks to Mark Lentz, who helped us with research on this episode. Mark runs the New York chapter of SCARS. Also, a big thanks to James Marinaccio for helping us to set up this interview with David. Thanks to Evie from my house for telling us who is Stanley Kubrick. And of course, thanks to our very own, the marvellous Mr. Jason Furlong. Thanks to James and Jason and myself for keeping the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook running smoothly. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know what you think about the show. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Kubrick Universe and thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Rigg. Tati bye.
1: It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything
0: which might only be attributed to human error. Why did I ever like ABBA? Oh, God, how they played them. Yeah, they played their records to death. And then one day I just, you know, like I heard Knowing Me, Knowing You or something and I was just like, I love this band. They're the greatest thing of all time. My parents were right. They were right. Thank
5: you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick podcast. Come back soon.